Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry, featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two ministers of God's economy who served together in China for nearly 20 years. Watchman Nee was imprisoned by the Chinese government in 1952 and remained there until his death in 1972. Following his imprisonment, Witness Lee carried on this ministry in Taiwan and eventually in America and ultimately around the world. He served the Lord for more than 70 years before going to be with him in 1997. His major contribution was through a 21-year labor he called Life Study, an exhaustive commentary on the entire Bible. This program is based on those messages. Before we join today's show, we'd like to give you our website where you can find more programs just like this one. It's lsmradio.org. Again, lsmradio.org radio.org. Now, here's our show today. The Lord told the prophet Jeremiah that he held two things against Israel above all else. First, they had forsaken him, the fountain of living waters. And second, they had hewn out for themselves broken cisterns incapable of holding water. The context of this passage is in chapter two of Jeremiah. And in a way, it could be considered the conversation between a distraught husband and an unfaithful wife. Listen to the sweet and intimate way that Jehovah begins his word to Israel. I remember concerning you the kindness of your youth, the love of your bridal days, when you followed after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness to Jehovah, the first fruit of his increase." Francis Ball has joined us as we consider these two great sins before Jehovah, sins that did not just plague Israel, but also that we ourselves have to be constantly aware of. Francis, the Lord's beginning words here surely indicate that he desired a very intimate and tender relationship with Israel, didn't he? Yes, it does. And I just am really impressed with this prophet Jeremiah, that when he had been hesitant about speaking for the Lord, yet when it comes time for him to speak in a very frank and thorough way, even he could do it in such a tender way. Yes. I feel he has really the mind and the heart of the Lord toward Israel. Yeah, we saw that early on. It could have been the first program that you and I did together that there's a, a characteristic of Jeremiah that he was tender of heart, and this matched something in the, the Lord. And uh, one of the reasons that perhaps God chose him, raised him up at that time to speak his word to uh, Israel a time that was, as we'll see, I think this is one of those chapters where it seems mostly negative as we uh, hear and read and learn about the condition that Israel had fallen into. The Lord had every reason to be full of wrath and his righteous judgment, which also comes out in this book, but there's this component of the tender heartedness that we'll come back to as we conclude today that I think will be an encouragement. Jeremiah really has this uh, capacity, doesn't he? He does. His name comes to mind again. Yeah. It means Jehovah is exalted and also means Jehovah tears down. And I think in this chapter, we'll see both sides of this aspect of the prophet's name. Well, there is a lot to tear down when we get into this chapter a little bit. And I think what I'll do now, maybe read 
a kind of condensed version of some of these early verses in chapter 2. As we've seen before when we've uh, touched the life studies of these Old Testament books, much of the Old Testament paints a black background so it can bring out the white yeah. uh, more clearly. And that's what we have here. We have, of course, this very wonderful verse that we opened up with today about uh, Jehovah being the fountain of living waters. But the context is very negative, as we pointed out, also begins in this tender way, referring to Israel as his espoused, his uh, tender bride, and how she cleaved to him in the yeah. wilderness. But now uh, things have changed as we are into the good land, of course, and their history is uh, somewhat spotted. Okay, at verse 4 in chapter 2, we pick it up here. What iniquity did your fathers find in me that they went far away from me and walked after vanity and became vain? And they did not say, Where is Jehovah who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who brought us through the wilderness, through a land of drought and the shadow of death? And I brought you into the land of the fruited field to eat its fruit and its goodness. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance an abomination. The priests did not say, Where is Jehovah? And the prophets prophesied by Baal and followed after things that did not benefit them. Therefore, I will yet contend with you, declares Jehovah. Has a nation ever exchanged its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have exchanged their glory for that which does not benefit them. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken Jehovah your God and that my fear is not in you. My, Francis, these are uh, sober words. You can uh, not just hear what he's uh, saying, but you can almost feel what uh, Jehovah is feeling here towards his people who have uh, treated him in such an abominable way. They had been delivered out of Egypt and been seen carefully and very tenderly through the wilderness, and then to come to this place of being so far away from God and having rejected God in his, all his tenderness, they had really divorced him. Well, in some of our early messages, we were seeing a kind of an overview of this book. One of the things that I think we bear in mind today, because it will be brought out, that all of Israel's failures, on the one hand, we... Uh, kind of cringe, but on the other hand, these were what paved the way for Christ to be manifested and brought forth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go join Witness Lee with his first uh, portion today. In this book, Jehovah God considered himself a husband to his beloved elect, Israel, and Israel a wife to him. Chapter 2 is a talk of the husband toward the wife. And Jehovah remembered the love of Israel's bridal days. There was a wedding day before Jehovah and Israel. And now the husband still remembers that bridal day, a day of love. Israel was holy nice to Jehovah, the first food of his increase. Some increase came out as produce, and the first fruits were Israel. And this word is the word of God treasure. God treasured Israel as holy knife, as the first fruit from his field, but they have gone far away from Jehovah and had worked after vanity. What was the vanity? Idols. 
They worshiped the idols, and they themselves became vain. They forgot Jehovah, who brought them up from Egypt through the wilderness of deserts and the shadow of death, and brought them into the land of the fruited field, a land flowing with honey and milk. Their priest did not say, where is Jehovah? Their rulers transgressed against Jehovah. And their prophets prophesied by Baal, the top idol of Babylon. It was an evil and bitter thing that they had forsaken Jehovah their God. They went away from him. They went to the idols and they forsook their God as the fountain of the living water. They were like Jehovah's wife committing fornication with many lovers. Who are the lovers? All the idols. This is the sinful condition of Israel. Francis, you uh, made a comment, not totally in jest. I think when you came in, we began today after we prayed a bit, you said, I feel after uh, getting into this chapter, almost like I need a shower. Uh, We do kind of feel like that, don't we? And it's as if the blinds have kind of been drawn back and we're seeing this private conversation between a husband and a wife that's been unfaithful. And it's altogether tragic in a sense, isn't it, that uh, God's people would behave in such a way? It's not only tragic, but it's exposing. Yes. I think we have to realize that not only Israel had uh, forsaken God as the fountain of living water, but even we ourselves who have known him, yet we have forsaken him and brought in other lovers. Let's talk about these other lovers. Most Christians uh, would say, well, idolatry is not a problem for me. I may have other things that, that plague me, but idolatry is not among them. But actually, in principle, idolatry is something we all struggle with, isn't it? I think so. I don't think we could avoid this. This kind of warning, we need a Jeremiah today to warn us of where we are. How many times have we been seeking after the Lord in a pure way? So we certainly need to have a realization that we are not totally innocent of all this that uh, Jeremiah is bringing out concerning Israel. In principle, an idol can represent anything that is competing for uh, the first place in our heart. Of course, these can even be momentary things. We get caught by all manner of things, don't we? Some of them very insignificant. Others, of course, are, uh, you know, sort of the treasures of our life, or maybe our family, maybe our home, maybe our career. Uh, Sometimes it can be a small, insignificant thing that we just find our heart totally stuck to. But at that moment, In God's eyes, we have also repeated this sin of Israel and forsaken him who is, as he presents himself, the fountain of living waters. This means that Jehovah desires and is willing to be the source of all of our genuine joy and satisfaction, isn't he? He is everything we need, and he is the enjoyment of our days. But if we turn to other things and let ourselves become occupied with them, that makes them an idol. So we've been bothered by idolatry more than we realize. We have made other things. Even some people make the Bible an idol. Instead of really seeing the Lord in it, they just see doctrines and teachings and do's and don'ts. But God intends to be imparted into us as our real husband. If we would be faithful to him, he certainly has uh, every reason to turn back to us. So we like to turn back to the Lord and be faithful to him. 
and have him as our real husband. Well, let's come back to uh, chapter 2, verse 13, again, talking about forsaking Jehovah, the fountain of living waters, number one, and number two, the hewing out of cisterns that hold no water. And we've heard a cistern described as a a kind of a basin carved out of rock Mm -hmm. where uh, in ancient days they would hold and catch the precious rainwater to try to hang on to it for when they would really need it. But if the cistern was cracked or broken in the bottom, we can imagine what happens. And uh, our lives are much like this, aren't they, Francis? Uh, We've all hewn out our own cisterns trying to hold water that would satisfy us and sustain us, but they're all flawed, aren't they? Yes, this particular exposure of Israel is not foreign words to us. We have had this experience, even at times forsaking the fountain of living water. This is not a cistern. This is a fountain. Right. God himself is a fountain of living water to his people, everything they need. But we turn to other things to try to satisfy, and these become idols to us. Well, let's go back to Witness Lee for this next portion. On the one hand, they forsook Jehovah. On the other hand, they hewed out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which hold no water. Do you know, to hew out something is to cut the rock. Needless to say, to hew out a cistern from the rock, that is a hard job. After you hew out the cistern, the cistern became broken. Then you keep water in this broken cistern, all water will flow away. Isn't this a good picture of our enterprises? We're laboring, laboring, laboring to make broken and waterlogged cisterns to replace the fountain of the living water. These are two evils of Israel. One is to forsake the fountain of the living water. Another one is to hew out broken cisterns. Not only so, choosing many idols which are of no benefit to replace the unique God who is their glory. And Paul in Romans 1 refers to this. And exchanging the reality of God for the falsehood, the vanity of idols. The things we are pursuing, we are seeking after. Everyone is an idol, and every idol is a vanity. Interesting, Francis, he uh, points out the fact here that the Apostle Paul refers to this passage and this event in his New Testament epistle to the Romans in an application there that again points out that when we are away from the fountain of living waters, we're capable of all manner of uh, things that just on reflection seem totally illogical. Professing to be wise, Paul says in chapter 1 of Romans, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the likeness of an image of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and reptiles. Here's Israel. They had experienced all of these miracles and the Lord sustaining them in so many ways, uh, feeding them and watering them and protecting them, fighting for them. And yet they exchange the living God for idols of wood and stone. In our hearts, it also is incredible, isn't it? The things that we uh, often will substitute. It is so that much comes in to try to substitute God. 
God is real. He is the Spirit. He's in our spirit to be our life and everything to us, to be the fountain of living water. And yet we will hew out, work hard, labor in many ways to try to build up a container for water. It doesn't really satisfy. It all turns out to be vanity. So we really need to take heed to this warning and this prophet's word to Israel, not only is for Israel, but for us today, that we would not have other things that would occupy us other than God himself. You know, if you had your dwelling, your cabin, your house or whatever, next to a fountain, a flowing fountain that was running, bubbling, uh, spewing, living, cool, clear water 24 hours a day, there would be no need for a cistern, would there? Every time you needed water, you just take it directly from the fountain. So the fact that any time we are laboring to produce a cistern indicates that we are uh, away from the one who really is the source of all of the living water in our lives. They had had so much experience of God bringing them out of Egypt and through the wilderness to be everything to them. And yet when they got into the good land, they forsook him and began to try to make other things to be the satisfaction of their life. But nothing works Chris, I feel like we've got a real warning here that we don't fall into that kind of uh, apostasy and forgetting where Jehovah is and who he is and what he has done. After uh, going into such detail in chapter 2 about the manifestations of what happens uh, when God's people forsake him, Jeremiah now comes to chapter 3 and again comes back to this picture of Jehovah as the husband and Israel, his people, as his loving bride who had uh, run off. And now after painting the black background, we do come to uh, at least a speck of white, a hopefulness as we look not at Israel's improvement, but we look at really what is in the depths of God's heart toward Mm -hmm. his people always. In chapter 3, verse 1, it is said, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her again? Will not that land be utterly polluted? But you have committed fornication with many lovers, yet return to me, declares Jehovah. The Lord willing to have his people always return to him. Strong message here. What a heart of forgiveness and for cleansing and for receiving his people, even though they've gone astray. Really so. Let's go back to Witness Lee Francis for our final portion. Worshiping and serving the creation rather than the Creator. Even not God's creation, but their creation. They make idols of wood, of steel, even sometimes of gold. They worship that instead of the Creator, this God. Romans 1 also nearly quoted this word. Not only so, seeking the what Egyptians and Assyrians have instead of seeking God's blessing. They don't trust in God's blessing, they trust that Egyptian help, Assyrian help. Then as the wife of Jehovah, for seeking her chastity to commit fornication and practicing apostasies, rather than keeping her faithfulness. And apostasy means to live the way of God, to take other way, 
to follow things other than God. But in spite of her fornication, which was like that of a divorced wife, Jehovah would return to her again if she would return to him. Still, Jehovah would receive her, even though Jehovah's wife committing fornication. This is Jehovah's compassion. And the compassions of Jehovah do not fail. And rather, every morning, these compassions become new. But it depends upon whether Israel would return to God or not. Francis, in our uh, daily life, in our Christian life, our experience of the Lord Jesus day by day, we fail continually, daily probably. And yet this promise, this uh, aspect of God is as present with us today as it was with the children of Israel then. There are compassions here that never fail. They are new every morning if we will just return to him. That's really the point of such a word as this, it seems to me. Maybe you have another insight, but this is where the hopefulness lies in what we've heard today. Yes, I believe this is God's heart. He really doesn't want us to turn away from him, and this grieves him very much that his people who have been redeemed by him and brought through all kind of experiences to be his choice ones and yet would turn away from him. This is a real heartbreaker, I would say. But this is really God's heart. He has promised to restore her if she would return. And I believe this is a a strong application to us, Chris, that if we fall away from the Lord or we hew out other containers for the water that we try to get to satisfy us, and we find that it's useless, it's vain, that we would return to him the source and the real living water himself. He will receive us and will water us and supply us. I feel this is a real uh, encouragement to us that regardless of all the cisterns that we tried to build, we would just turn back to our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our real husband, and he's wanting to marry us, to be one with us for eternity. So we just turn our hearts back to him to enjoy him afresh. We will really get the supply because his compassions are, as you said, new every morning. I thank the Lord for this because many times I fail him and I find myself trying to do something, even something good, in place of enjoying Mm -hmm. Christ. Then I know I have to turn back to him, and he will receive me, and he does. You think it's uh, significant, this phrase that Jeremiah added on here, not just that his compassions are new, but new every morning. Yeah. That really is a window into our New Testament experience as well, isn't it? It is. We should meet him and enjoy him every morning. I think the first thing a Christian needs to do before he even raises his head off his pillow, just say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I come back to you this morning. Sounds like Dick Taylor and Ed Marks who often make that point when they (laughs) sit in that chair, Francis. That's right. But we all need to experience this. And I think you're right. This is the most helpful way to start every day. I would say it's a necessity. Yes. (laughs) Francis, um, I don't know what our next portion will hold for us. Perhaps it will be something that also paints the black background so that the manifestation of Christ, even as he appears uh, in the pages of Jeremiah, can be shown forth. But for whatever it is, look forward to our time together as we continue in this live study of Jeremiah. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you very much. Our toll-free number, and we'd like to give it to you now, if you'd like to contact us about getting the printed Life Study volume of Jeremiah and Lamentations, is one eight 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 Life Study. 
That's 888-543-3788. That's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. Or you can write to us at Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. Or send email to radio at lsm.org. For Francis Ball, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening today. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Whether you're hearing this program via radio, online, or as a podcast, you'll find hundreds of audio studies just like this one by visiting our website, lsmradio.com. We also hope you'll email us with your questions or comments, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Thanks for listening. Was Jesus simply a great religious leader? The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. Based on the scriptures, the religious people were looking for a great leader but Jesus was introduced to them as a little lamb with a little dove. The lamb is for redemption, to redeem fallen man back to God, and the dove is for life-giving, for anointing, to anoint man with what God is, to bring God into man and man into God. Both the lamb and the dove are needed for man to participate in God. Scripture, John 1.29 and commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version published by Living Stream Ministry. For more information, visit lsm.org.